From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Friday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Our very own Vice President of Theology, Colin Donovan, is in the house, so grab one of these open phone lines before they fill up. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-271. 2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1205-271-2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, You can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our hostess, he is every Friday, the aforementioned Colin Donovan. How are you? Uh, Doing pretty good in this tremendous anniversary week that we've been celebrating. It is. uh, The 100th anniversary of Mother Angelica's birth was yesterday, and uh, everybody but you has had a chance to weigh in, and (laughs) you wanted your chance to weigh in. Actually, I did uh, for a little bit on uh, Take Two yesterday. Okay, very good. uh, uh, did a spot for the TV side, a uh, very brief one there. But, yeah, I, I, I started to talk about this on Take Two yesterday. I thought I'd finish up the, the thought that I had um, uh, given well, the limited time. start from the beginning. Time. We have crossover audience. Th- that's not, true. That's not true. Not entirely. Well, I mentioned that if I had to say two things about uh, Mother, it would be her providence, her reliance on providence, which everybody talks about. So uh, that's not true, necessarily unheard. Uh, and the other thing is her joy, and I sort of alluded to this in my TV spot where I talked about uh, her sense of humor. She had a tremendous sense of humor, uh, and of course, uh, we th- we think of the Divine Child and her love for the El Nino the div- and the Divine Child, and uh, we're called to be the children of God and to be like little children uh, towards him, and she certainly was that, and that joy and that good sense of humor, that poking fun of herself. Uh, as was mentioned on the live show that Father Mitch uh, and others did. Uh, all of that was a big part of her. But the the providence is so interesting because when you think of, uh, Michael Warsaw mentioned this, if we think of John Paul II as the, you know, as the saint of hope, uh, she could be the saint of divine providence in, in many ways. Uh, the reason being, I often think of providence, Acceptance of the divine providence or living in the moment, the sacrament of the moment, as it has been called, uh, trusting in God in every moment, in everything that happens, good or bad, is in many ways the hardest uh, virtue, the hardest element of trust to acquire, and in many ways is much more difficult to believe in than the Trinity, the Holy Eucharist, the uh, divine institution of the church, and you go on down the line in the doctrinal things. 
what to believe that in every moment, whether received as a, a good thing or a bad thing, God is Lord of history, is willing uh, this moment for us, for our benefit, for our uh, perhaps our admonition to make us grow and to stretch out in faith, hope, and love to him and to others. This is a very hard Catholic doctrine uh, to accept. And so I think you see in the great saints that they all live this way. In fact, all the saints uh, had to live this way to arrive at the heroic virtue that uh, the Church speaks of in their regard. So I think she certainly did that, and others have talked about the material elements of it, and I haven't heard mentioned very much the other ways in which she relied on divine providence. And we've been hearing through our, uh, our in-house emails and that about the providential ways in which people came to be at EWTN. That's not, of course, coincidence that this individual chosen, brought by God here, chosen by Mother and Deacon Bill and his role to uh, be a member of our staff. This, too, is the working out of providence, the providence for the individual, yourself and myself. Can, we can tell our own stories of how this came about. But here you have a nun who didn't know anything about television except, as, as the story's been told, asked to do 60 programs. Oh, yeah, I can do 60 without thinking of how difficult doing 60 programs is, you know. So she just trusted in God for that. Well, in a way, she had to trust for the engineers. She had to trust for the other staff. And she hired people sometimes in the very beginning in particular. Now we can attract people here. But for, for years, it was whoever showed up at the door and said, Mother, I want to serve and serve this mission, this mission of yours. And she would discern and she would hire, trusting that the Lord will provide, and he inevitably did. And so this, I think, this this particular element uh, is sort of over-missed when you hear about the, you know, the miracles of money arriving in time and many other things of, the, uh, of that nature, her own healing, of course, those kinds of things. But we forget the many stories of virtually all of the employees here who knew her and were hired by her of how they came to be here and how she discerned. And I think one of the greatest stories of all is the, the one that Deacon Bill used to tell about mother was in Chicago for, for to be on a, one of the stations there, and he or to, to, to speak, I guess it was, and he heard about this. He thought, well, I'll go listen to this nun. She's from Birmingham. I'm from Nashville. And he felt called to approach her. And she had an inkling that he would work for her. And in fact, he very shortly after that began to work for her, I believe in uh, 1980. In 1981, EWTN was established. And so here is a case of her right-hand man, her man Friday, basically brought to her and given to her and designated by the Lord uh, to to serve and participate in her, her mission as well. And each in our own way, has exactly the same story to tell. And I think that's an amazing example of providence at work in her as also in the divine plan. And one final point on all of that is something I was told in the seminary. I know, Jack, you've heard me say this before. Uh, you know, in a low point, the rector said, you know, when you want to see how God can help and prepare a way for you, look back 
and see the ways that he has brought you to this point. And I think that's great guidance for people making vocational decisions and other decisions in life. Look back and see the many ways in which God has brought you to this point in your life. Maybe the point of considering entering the church. Maybe the point of taking a new job. Maybe the point of taking a spouse. Maybe some other major decision uh, in your life. How did I get here? How did God provide for me to get here? And what does that mean for where I should go from here? I think that's a great way to see God working in one's life and to trust in him for the future as well as you have obviously experienced in the past. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Good and the bad, right? You know, it's it's you know as you can see, we haven't perfected everything just yet, but uh, we're 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 working on it. But you know what you say is true, and 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 it's not just key positions, you know, like like what Deacon Bill you know filled, mm-hmm. but you know I know of stories of of you know support positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know one person in particular that mother simply took him by the hand, looked in his eyes. And then told the person that walked him down there to hire him. Yeah, yeah. In a in a very uh, uh, entry level kind of a support role, and that person is now in charge of the entire satellite transmission operation for the entire network. Right, and that that was not all that uncommon. And you know, in in the other respect too, in the founding of the radio network, you know the affiliate stories. I heard some of them when I popped in for the radio conference in Phoenix last year. You know. The, a very similar kind of providence has provided for the distribution of radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Yeah, without question, without question. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. If you've got a theology question for our Vice President of Theology, Colin Donovan, or on this, the week of the anniversary of Mother Angelica's 100th, um, if you've got a Mother Angelica story or how Mother Angelica has impacted your life, we would be delighted to let you tell that story today here on Open Line as well. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Ted in Vernot, Vermont, and we've still got a couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada... That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll put you straight to the front of the line. It's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, sometimes the breaks just aren't quite long enough and I was going to tell you that our our extraordinary, uh, exemplary, phenomenal producer, Michael McCall, is a proud uh, summa cum laude graduate of Mad Dog's House of Pain, (laughs) which is a professional wrestling school. So 
Uh, I, I think they're missing the context of that statement, <laughs> which was very good, actually. <laughs> you can rely on CNA to cover the mission and activities of the Catholic Church, including social, political, moral, and cultural issues from a perspective of faith. For the latest Catholic news, visit catholicnewsagency.com. It's an online service from EWTN News and... You can get timely news updates directly to your email inbox. Visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open lines at 833-288-3986. As advertised, first up today is Ted, a first-time caller in the great state of Vermont, listening to Our Lady of Perpetual Help Radio. Ted, you're on with Colin Donovan. Yeah, thanks, Colin. Um so I came back to the church about 30 years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, a local parish had, uh, starting um, uh, during Lent, a kind of like an adult catechism refresher. So uh, a couple days ago, we covered uh, Christian moral living, and we came up to the whole uh, section on homosexual behavior. And so uh, the person who was head of faith formation said, well, the church used to believe that... Um, it was strictly a choice. There was no inclination, no um, uh, state where a person might be uh, had developed to a point where uh, they were um, kind of uh, more tempted than other people, for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. So they believed it was strictly a choice. And she said with the current catechism, they believe it's a disorder, and the fact they might have same-sex attractions is often through no choice of their own, at least to start with. Mm-hmm. And then... She said, in light of recent research, um, and uh, that indicating the genetic, uh, um, an increasing genetic predisposition, um, again, genetic influence, not caused, she said the church is going to have to change again. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, sitting there, I'm going like, wow, okay? So I did a, you know, a, you know after I got home, did a quick... Uh, search online, I saw the study of 477,000 people, I think it was in 2019, and that talked about, uh, they claimed they found five markers, and they came up with some, I don't know how they do this, but 25% genetic, uh, and then the rest environmental, and something called specific environmental. So anyways, I was kind of like, uh, are we at that point? Because uh, I was mm-hmm. like, uh, just dumbfounded, uh, hearing that... Um, it's increasingly moving toward, because um, there were a number of people in the room that were for same-sex marriage and everything, and I was like, wow. Yeah. So I was kind of, I just want to well, give The, the short answer it. is no. And the longer answer is no, but with some details. What we're talking about here is the f- effect of what philosophers would call the error of scientism, It's a version of materialism which says that science is basically the sum of all wisdom, and therefore if science says something is normal, in quotes, or if sociology says science is normal, in quotes, uh, or if the medical establishment or the psychiatric establishment says it's normal, in quotes, my quotes, not theirs, then therefore they're the experts, they're the wise ones, that's the truth. That individual is speaking out of that frame, frame of uh, reference. Now let's look, at, let's look at the truth. 
the truth is, and uh, I know a thing or two about genetics, having studied it for four years at Northwestern and uh, studying cell biology and all of these processes, deeply interested in uh, DNA. I have a child with a number of DNA-based syndromes, and it's simply both scientifically true and logically true and morally true that things which occur in the genome, although they may be, there are, there's the genetic, the genotype, and that is the structure of the genome. There is the phenotype and the expression of the genome. And if you take a particular genotype, there may be uh, a number of phenotype, phenotypical expressions and other things, the things we experience and what science tests and so on that are suggestive of, you know, a genetic basis in it. They don't understand most of, most of these things. And I am told very often by doctors in my son's case, you know, that they can't explain why things aren't or why things are the way they are because the genetics or other things say it should be different. The other new area is the not just the area of the genetics itself, but also the area of epigenetics. And that is they know that life stressors, you think of soldiers with PTSD as maybe a worst case scenario, but other things, other sociological things which affect people, uh, life stressors can change, chemically change the coding around the DNA. The DNA is most of the time wrapped in this coding, which then uh, unwraps enough to allow expression of a particular gene or set of genes needed for some process of the cell. And the stressors change that, and they, air, they therefore can change the degree of expression and even get no expression if the change is sufficient. And mutations in the genome itself can result in no expression of what would be the normal human need. You could take a look at all of the diseases related to glucose metabolism or other kinds of metabolism in the body. Um, and some of those are probably caused because of the absence in the genome of the proper enzyme or the absent or the 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 things which happen in the person's life, such as obesity or or sedentary lifestyle, all kinds of things which affect it. But when this is taken and studied as, okay, certain populations have this, it's called normal. It used to be said that, for instance, example, homosexuality was normal in animal populations. Therefore, unsurprisingly, we find it in human populations. From the point of view of science, you could say that is true. But what is it the believers asked to believe? The believer is asked to believe in divine revelation. The believer is asked to believe that God created man and woman for a purpose, and therefore it wisely, his purpose is wisely manifested in the purpose of the particular functions of the body. Those things which are related to eating and digestion and getting rid of the products of digestion, those things which are related to reproduction and the development of the child and the birth of the child and so on, that they serve a particular purpose. This is all logical. This is why it's only in the West where we're infected by this scientism that people actually believe there are more than two sexes. Now, the other aspect of that is the, the moral aspect. Morally, every one of us 
every single human being alive. They may have a predisposition to anger. They may have a predisposition to uh, acting out sexually, whether heterosexually or homosexuality, uh, and those can take many, many forms. They may have a predisposition to something else. We all have our moral faults, and we may have some substrata in us of the way we were raised, the way we were taught by the culture around us, and maybe there are even some cases where the genome has been mutated and we have one of these minority phenotypes where, you know, if you wish to describe it, you wouldn't say that it's the homosexual type. You would say it's the angry man type or something like this, you know, or excess testosterone type or whatever. The point is that doesn't make that type morally correct in terms of our relationship to God and our relationship to each other. Uh, it wouldn't entitle me to lash out and hit a person unless there was some moral justification for it. So whether it's sociologically defined or scientifically defined, the religious person who believes in divine revelation, whether Catholic or Jewish or Muslim, if they believe the science on the, on the sexual purposes for which human beings engage and who have a finality, the perpetuation of their species, whichever species that is, if you believe in the moral reasons why this was created, and our church teaches that we are in some way a reflection of God and of his image and the communion of persons rightly ordered in that image, and when you do that, you have a different understanding of what's wrong with the various sexual sins, and I won't enumerate them. You can find those in the Catechism. To say someone is disordered does not to say that they're at moral fault, and that is what the church is saying. We all have disorders in us which have moral implications in our temperament, in, uh, in the way we were raised, and so on. It's our task in life to overcome those through faith, hope, and love, and the four cardinal virtues, to be an even closer image of God not just an image of his personal nature, willing, knowing and willing, but to be an image of his holiness. That's what the church is for. It's not for sociological categorization or nominalizing defects in human beings of whatever kind. So this person who taught that doesn't know the science really. They're obviously infected with the scientism, which makes science the, the, you know, the end of all reason. Um, and they certainly are not perpetuating the faith by, by saying that the church can change. The church is passing on what was revealed to the human race through Moses and through Jesus and those whom he taught, the apostles, and carried on in the church and is incapable of changing that. That is the nature of things as God wills it, and we are in many ways departed from it. And, you know, the Pope has even said, and this is absolutely true. In every moral theology class I ever took, this was emphasized. Sexual sin is among the least significant of the sins. They can be a mortal sin, but, you know, defrauding the poor, injustice, uh, hatred. You could go through much more serious sins that are sins against charity and justice. 
So, but we all get agitated about the, the what we think are the big ones when they're really they're not very big. And if we look closely at ourselves in that very area, we would find we probably have many weaknesses. They may be subtle. They may be overcome by grace and by confession over the years. Uh, but nonetheless, the residue of original sin is in us. And the rest of our life is to take care of that and get closer, not just to the image of God in our nature, but the image of God in our holiness. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Linda in St. Louis, Dennis in North Carolina, and hopefully we'll talk to you as well. It's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our great radio partner, AM1260, The Rock in Cleveland, is airing their spring pledge drive next week. If you're listening in Cleveland or anywhere, please make sure you support your local Catholic radio station. As advertised, we head to my hometown, St. Louis, Missouri. Linda is listening on Covenant Radio. Linda, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you, gentlemen. You asked for snippets about Mother Angelica. Uh, a friend mm-hmm. of mine invited me some years ago this. He married young, and he and his wife could have no children of their own, mm-hmm. nor could they adopt. And they lived uh, many years very close together. He nursed her through her final ten years of illness, and then was very, very, very despondent after her death. And one day he found himself sitting in front of the television, mindless of what mm-hmm. was going on, a gun in his lap, thinking to oh, end it all. And all of a sudden, he heard a voice say, Don't! do it. He looked up, and there was Mother Angelica staring at him from the screen, and uh, he thanked her for mm-hmm. saving his life. Yeah, those kinds of stories, you you, yeah. you hear them. I've, all, I've been hearing them since I've been here. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that, Linda. We really appreciate it. If you've got a Mother Angelica story or a question about theology, we'd be happy to talk to you. A couple open phone lines at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Dennis is in the great state of North Carolina listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Dennis, you're on with Colin Donovan. Uh, thank you, Jack. Thank you, Colin. You're welcome. Uh, Working out in the yard, so I can <laughs> sit down and catch my breath. I've got my headphones on. Uh, as I was attending the Triduum, triduum uh, services mm-hmm. recently uh, and pondering the events that took place back then, the question came to my head, why did God choose to do this when he did? Why not a thousand years earlier? Or mm-hmm. Why not now? Why? Yeah. So I wondered if there was a theological, uh, some readings or something that might sure. uh, explain that to me. Yeah. Were you in that meeting, Colin? No, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't get invited to that. But, you know, we theologians take the basic facts and we run with them as far as we can. <laughs> you know, until until we get called before a general council and told that that's, you know, not acceptable. Or a cloistered Franciscan nun. <laughs> or a cloistered. A <laughs> couple times. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Well, you know, I'm talking a lot about providence in the, in, in the top of the hour and here, here's the amazing thing. We, we are not God. That's 
That's got to be our starting point on all these questions. We are not God. And we distinguish between human wisdom and divine wisdom, and sometimes we can't get to it. But, you know, the attitude of the saints, and I, and I mentioned uh, mother, mother's attitude not to preempt any judgment the church may or may not make in the future, of course. But the attitude of the saints, for the best example, I would, I would say is, and I've cited her before, St. Teresa of Avila crossing the stream in her, you know, in a horse-drawn cart, and the cart gets tipped up and she's dumped in the water and she looks to the heaven, heavens and says, if this is the way you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. Now, is she scolding God, really? Maybe in the, uh, a certain sense. But she's professing something that we believe, and that is, A, that he's the Lord of history and nothing happens. Not a sparrow, as our Lord said, not a grain of grass, they're clothed as God wishes them clothed. And we, we can't understand that. We can't grasp that. So when you look, uh, as I noted too, as uh, Father Augustine, the rector of the seminary I attended, you know, said, you can see looking back what, uh, what God has done, and that should give you confidence about what he did in the future. It's that trust in the moment. Now, how does that relate to the Incarnation? In this way, it is the doctrine of the Church that God is eternal. In other words, he's not in time. He's distinct from time. I've seen religious discussions, frankly, they're not worthy of the name, where uh, trying to people trying to meld science and religion uh, with good intentions. Well, there might be 17 dimensions. Well, one of those dimensions must be where God is. Well, no. <laughs> a created thing cannot contain God. So God is simply, he's not in any dimension. There's, he's not in the fifth dimension, the sixth or the 17th or the 950th. He transcends all of it. And he doesn't see the truth. He doesn't see the truth outside of himself, but in himself. And in himself, he sees it in one grasp and with one divine look. And the word is the expression of that. We get a hint of that when St. Paul says of Christ, he is the uh, image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So the word is he through whom creation was made. That's a starting, another starting point, too. God, what is the nature of God? And what is the nature of the wor world and the, of the word? That the second person is the expression of the divine, uh, of, God, of the Father. And it was through him that the world was made. So that means, in some respect, there was always, from the very instant in which God made the world, his intimate connection with the Word. Now, on this point, and on very few others, I am a Franciscan who said that had Adam and Eve not sinned, Christ would have become man anyway, because simply he is the image of the invisible God, and that image would have united himself with the creation. And so, therefore, Christ would have become man. Then, to your question, why did he become man at this moment? Well, in seeing all, he sees all from the beginning to the end. He saw everybody who ever lived, including those who are not yet born. And he knows what decisions they would make, and he graces those that can be graced, and he is prepared to treat with justice those that can't be. 
So he knows all of that, and he does this. We're free nonetheless. And this itself is a great mystery, how in all of this we are all free. Yet even in that God's view of each of us acting throughout history and doing so freely, but with the movement of grace where the grace will move us, and of course, in some cases it never did. I think of the Pharaoh and his hardened heart. God didn't so much harden it as to bring down on his head the, the cost of his own hardness. And in all of that, he knew the point, as the Scripture says, in the fullness of time. There was one era, one time, one year, one woman, which in the fullness of time from all eternity God saw, just as in the fullness of time he will come again at the end of time. The second person will come again, God and man. So it's all wrapped up in that mystery of God, but you can, you can sort of get into the logic of it, but you can't get into the actual why except in that general way that this was the perfect time in the wisdom of God, that no time before and no time after. And this was the perfect woman, quite literally, as the church teaches, and sadly our Protestant brothers and sisters don't teach, the perfect woman for, through whom to be born and from whom to be born, to bear the human nature which will save us. And the only source of that human nature, the Father's not the source, she is the source. And to bear that. So all of that was perfectly timed and the apostles talked about the providence of mother in hiring. Although he was God in doing the choosing, it was his providence choosing. And all the apostles providently chosen, including he who did not persist and failed and fell away. And that was done as an example for us. So you can look at all things from that point of view. And you can maybe get a glimpse into why, but you can't really obviously understand it as God does, who sees the whole of history in every individual and in every historical act, every moral act that is ever done in one simple grasp. And that's well beyond our comprehension. God bless you, Dennis. Good luck in the garden the rest of the way. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. couple of open lines at 833-288-3986. Michael's in Spokane, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, you're on with Colin Donovan. Well, thank you. Thank you both, and happy Easter season, happy Divine Mercy. And I really enjoyed Mother Angelica's sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, Me that gets the point across in many ways. And she could do more with an eyebrow than we could do with a comedic <laughs> sketch. <laughs> exactly. She'd be a match for Jack Benny at any of them. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, that would, that would be a team with uh, or Jackie Gleason. But, any of uh, those. Yeah, I liked your discussion of sin and the idea of defrauding, lack of charity. Uh, my my question is about confession as well, mm-hmm. Donovan, and... Uh, you know, confession, as you know, cleanses and all, removes all sin. Yet some Catholics, maybe sometimes I do this myself, go over and over, and you can't believe that we're forgiven, but mm-hmm. we are. So how would you respond to this? Yeah. Well, it's not a feeling. It requires faith. So the ter- Church teaches, uh, you know, Christ teaches, because on uh, Easter night he appears and said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave you. Whose sins they are forgiven, they are forgiven. Whose sins they are retained, they are retained. He's connecting peace with the absolution of sin, which will come through the apostles. 
uh, and thereby also through those who assist them, the priests, uh, in the carrying out of the ministry of redemption. And so it starts with having faith. And granted, there are a number of reasons. People's faith may be weak. That doesn't mean their sins aren't forgiven. The power of the priest is there. Uh, If their sorrow is genuine, they're forgiven, but they may not psychologically, emotionally, sentimentally feel like they are forgiven. And the other would be is perhaps there's some lingering fear of punishment. Uh, We know that if you come into confession with uh, fear of hell, that's sufficient for the sacrament. Outside of the sacrament, it's not sufficient. If our motive of, of, you know, you know, if uh, if the motive of an individual, Catholic or non-Catholic, who's baptized is to, uh, because of the goodness of God and the sorrow of offending it, we will be forgiven in an instant outside of the sacrament, although we have the duty uh, through Scripture to confess to the Church by the example of, of Christ's statement on, on Easter night. But if we come with uh, the, what's called imperfect contrition, I'm so more afraid of hell and of suffering as a result of my sins than, than having offended God, then it's, it's weak, but it's enough for the sacrament. And so we go out forgiven. So what people need uh, to do is they, can, they need to consider ways of bolstering their faith. And the other element is they, they actually feel their there's sins are so uh, great that they can't be forgiven, perhaps. And that can be largely a psychological thing, uh, that and scrupulosity, where in the mind of some people, something trivial is a mortal sin, and maybe something mortal sin, as they dismiss it, is not very important. They need to get their, their idea of what is sin, their conscience is corrected. So I would think in both those cases, acts of faith to bolster their faith, I believe, for instance, the act of faith, which at least my generation was taught as children, you know, I believe these things because you have revealed them and all the things which the Holy Catholic Church teaches because you can neither, you know, um, you know how's that go now, Jack? I've flown out of my mind. At no, not a Baltimore Catechism guy. No, you're I'm not afraid. a Baltimore Catechism guy. But the point being that uh, you can de- can neither deceive or be deceived. That's That's it. And so... They could say that act of faith, you can find it online, you can find it in, many, in most Catholic, if not all Catholic prayer books. And the other one is to have trust and confidence in God's mercy. Say the chaplet every day. The chaplet is all about mercy. Mercy for others, but it's often the one saying it who needs to recognize God's mercy and to build that up. So to build up the faith, and mercy is connected with trust because uh, it concerns the f- the purpose of the redemption and the forgiveness of sin which ca- Christ came to give. And so by working on faith and by working on trust, uh, those are the two things which I think most cause people to disbelieve, uh, to think that either they're not forgiven as a matter of, you know, truth, or that they're not worthy of being forgiven as a matter of lack of trust. And those two prayers, the chaplet, and the uh, act of faith uh, should help them and to bolster to bolster those things. God bless you, Michael. We certainly appreciate the call today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 
288-3986. Be sure to check out EWTN News Nightly with Tracy Sable. Get the Catholic News perspective on top stories and daily reports from around the world. That's 9 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. EWTN News Nightly with Tracy Sable right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Joe is right here in Birmingham, Alabama, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Joe, you're on with Colin Donovan. Thank you. Colin, regarding your earlier comment of uh, two or three questions ago regarding homosexuality uh, and then the scientific, looking at it from the scientific angle of if science says it's true and doctors and so on. So that's where I'm going with this. Is that maybe the angle that the German church is looking at it from? Mm -hmm. And that's one question, but the other part of it is we're also in a situation where innocent children in their the brink of their youthfulness, very young, being influenced by these things of what they're sometimes being taught in school and the acceptance of it, and then what if, and then to me that opens the door of confusion, and we both know who the author of confusion is. And where they may go into homosexuality because of what they were taught and acceptance of it, whereas had they not been taught that, they wouldn't have, because mm-hmm. the norm is not homosexuality, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. And, of course, look how we got to this point. Uh, first of all, they had to throw God out of the schools. That was stage one. Uh, stage two is to bring in a, uh, a secular morality into the schools. So to forbid, on the one hand, teaching people about the moral truth, uh, and on the other hand, the introducing of the immoral truth, in quotes, the immoral falsities. So I, I think that's, that's the danger. Now, we're not talking all of this about the culpability of individuals. That's something for the confessional. As I said, everybody struggles with a sin. And an, a, an ori- let's use this word orientation, which is used. The orientation to a particular sin is a structural defect, you would think, an emotional, a sense defect in each individual who feels inclined towards anger or gluttony or whatever it is. So that structural sin is in them, but it's not in their best interest. We know gluttony is not in the best interest of the individual medically. But now all of a sudden, behaviors which are knowingly not in the medical best interest, not in the civil and emotional health best interest of people, are suddenly being normalized. Uh, Gender ideology is another one. The Pope is very explicit. It's demonic, he said. It's an inversion of the divine order. This has been the goal for 50 years, uh, to invert the order of truth and to put essentially the culture and ultimately the state, as the effort is going on now, to put the state in charge of morality, to, to say what is morality by saying what is legal. Uh, abortion did that. Thank God we've been able to overturn that for how long, I don't know. But it taught an immoral true falsity, or truth in quotes. 
that something legal was now suddenly okay and all right and desirable for one's own personal circumstantial needs. The church doesn't have to say person is morally culpable of their, of their sins any more than we say a person is necessarily morally culpable for alcoholism or anything else that uh, they struggle with. The church simply has to say is that God has the grace. God can forgive those choices when they're actual choices because at some point we make the choice— you know, I'm I'm going to eat that 12-pound steak or whatever it is. I don't think they make 12-pound steaks, but I'm going to eat that giant. Jack's going to tell me they do because he's had one. Oh, heavens no. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a whole lot of steak, bro. That's a lot of steak. <laughs> well, maybe that pound-and-a-half steak or something like that. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be that'd in plenty. the ballpark for some of these uh, yeah. uh, steak places. That's true. Uh, you know, nobody forces us to eat it. There's a moral choice in that, even though you know it's not for your own good. So there is a dividing line between an inclination or an orientation that we have and the choice to do that thing which is not in our best interest, either in our in this life, but especially in the next life. If you believe in the next life and you believe that the guy who ha- who's going to give you the next life has a, a, has given us the you know the manual, if you will, on how to live a good life, and this ain't it. Uh, so we have to come to that uh, individual judgment. The trouble is we're facing a culture which is teaching the normalization of this, and now they're teaching it to children. That, to me, is a disaster. There is the other element of this because it sort of fits, and that is not only are they teaching that this is part of science, but they're doing it deceitfully in many cases. Take the issue of transgenderism. Very early on, not that early on, but a decade or so, there is a class of individuals called uh, children with, and adults even, with disorders of sexual development. That means they have actual disorders in their sexual development that makes them sometimes intermediate between the two sexes physically or the sex that the opposite of what their genetics provide with the hormone structure that goes with it. And so as a result of that, uh, they have a genetic and medical condition. Most of these things that we're talking about, whether it's in the transgender world or in the homosexual world, have no such basis. In other words, there may be socialization. It used to be the, what was the thing they used to say, one-third nature, one-third nurture, nurture and one-third uh, possibly genetics. Yeah. And that's not even been demonstrated. The genetic component has not been demonstrated. The nurture component has been. Um, so the nature element is, is certainly uh, pretty weak on these things. But even if it were present, it would be result of something disordered. So in the disorders of sexual development, you have kids with you know uh, more than one Y chromosome, sometimes two chromosomes. You can have defects in a single chromosome that deletes certain things as part of, that are part of masculinization. These things are producing kids that ha- have a non-clear biological sex. Sometimes, apparently, the whole opposite sex. That is a medical condition. But the belief that I have an identity different from what is an otherwise normal biological body that is either male or female, that's not a medical condition. It may be a psychiatric one, however. And and the other you you mentioned, it should be mentioned, is a rare medical condition. 
condition. The the disorders of sexual yeah. development are very, very rare. But my, my point was this so-called category, which some used to call intersex, uh, yeah. you know, uh, the intersex position or status, got co-opted because they needed, they wanted to put that alphabet, that letter of the alphabet in their, you know, their alphabet their code, litany. in their alphabet litany uh, in order to aggregate all of these other things to what is a true medical condition, and that's simply scientifically false. There could be in the people who have transgendered, if they're check, if they actually did the endocrinological and all the other testing that could be done, they may have some elements of these conditions. that Those are treatable, or there are solutions to which the church permits. But for a psychological condition, no. That's not only scientifically wrong, but it's also morally wrong. Yeah. Let's go to Kathy in Omaha, Nebraska. She's listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Kathy, welcome to the program. Thank you. You asked earlier about stories about Mother Angelica. Yeah, go for it, Kathy. Okay, well, my son, when he dated his now wife, uh, first thing he asked her to do is if she'd like to go to church with him, and she said, yeah, I'll go with you. So he started taking her to Mass. Then they used to come over to my house quite a bit, several times a week in the evening to visit. And all of, at that time, Mother Angelica was on three hours in the evening. And uh, she would sit there and watch Mother Angelica with me. And she once in a while, she'd ask me a question, and I'd explain it to her. And pretty soon she said to me, Kathy, why doesn't our church teach us to love the Blessed Mother? And I said, honey, I don't know, but they should. <laughs> and uh, she loved Mother Angelica. She became a Catholic. Not only did she become a Catholic, but when she was taking instruction before they got married, when she was taking instructions, she would tell her best friend, friends from since kindergarten, went to the same church she used to go to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she would tell her what they were learning, what she was learning. And together, they be- both became Catholic. So she had a convert before she was one. <laughs> oh, what a, you know, what a great story. And, and, and what an example of evangel- lay evangelization. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks yeah. so much for that story, Catholic. Well, we are, Kathy, rather, we are flat out of time on behalf of our host, our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, our producer, Michael McCall, our call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. We hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back at it again on Monday with Father John Tregilio and another great week of EWTN's Open Line. Until we get together then, God bless. God bless.